0: All right. hey, good evening everyone. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. I want to welcome those of you watching online. Uh, I know we have a number of folks who watch online with us every week. We're glad you're with us. Some of you are local, some of you are from far away, uh, and we're glad you're with us. If you would turn to Matthew 6 as well. Uh, We're going to start off tonight a little bit different. We're going to start off tonight uh, by having a little bit of an extended scripture reading. See, see what we've been doing in Matthew chapter 6 is we've actually been studying something that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is literally a sermon that Jesus stood up and gave. And here's how good of a preacher Jesus was. Jesus gave a sermon, and we take little bits of that sermon and make sermons out of the sermon. Like, that's how good of a preacher Jesus was. And so tonight, you're going to hear the very end of this entire kind of culmination of this series we've done about you not being a person who is worried all the time. And you're going to hear straight from the words of Jesus. So here's what I want you to know. It's possible you'll check out on everything I have to say tonight. But if you check out on nothing else tonight, like if you focus, focus on one thing tonight, focus on the words you're about to hear. Because if you take them seriously... It could just change your life. So let's welcome up Julian, who is going to read for us
1: our scripture tonight. Amen, amen, amen. All right, guys. We're going to be reading Matthew 6, verses 25 to verses 34 to the end of the chapter. guys. We're going to be reading NIV, Calvary's favorite edition. (laughs) All right, so here we begin In Jesus, we just thank you that this word would implant richly in our heart, God, and that we would learn from your word, and we would go out into the world and live it. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, again, tonight, what, what we're going to do is we're going to really just think In an extended way, uh, upon the passage you just heard, upon the part of the sermon um, that Julian just read from Jesus, and my real hope tonight uh, is to just give a clear and simple message uh, about really the point of this entire series, and that's the title that you would therefore not worry tonight. uh, Let me give you the 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 outline. I don't always do this for the sermon up front. Here's here's what we're going to do. Jesus teaches us three things about worry. There's three things we're going to talk about tonight. Number one, we're going to see the rule. Number two, we're going to see the reasons. Number three, we're going to see the redirect. And any time a preacher has a sermon that starts with the same letters on everything, you know it's going to be okay. All right. But, but truly, I, I, I just want you to see this. Now. I want you to see the rule Jesus lays down. Uh, I want you to see the reason he gives you this rule. And then I want you to see what he tells you to do instead. Uh, I want you to see the rule, the reason he gives the rule, and what he tells you to do and said. So here's the rule. We see it three times in the passage Julian just read. I'll show it to you here. Matthew 6.25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. A few verses later, Matthew 6.31, so do not worry, Jesus says. And Matthew 6.34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Now Now listen. With all three of these verses, along with the hundreds of other places in Scripture that we see the words, do not worry, do not be afraid, do not be anxious, do not worry, do not give yourself over to worry. What is being given here is not a suggestion or an idea or a lifestyle. What is being given to us is a command. Jesus is telling us what to do here. And so I think it's important for us to start here with the fact that this is the rule Jesus is giving us. The rule is this, do not worry this isn't a suggestion it's not a lifestyle it's not something to think about it's not an idea he's pitching out there it is a command that is clearly given to us do not worry and yet here's my observation and i've made this with some of you before and the observation is this um that do not worry is the one command of the bible many christians feel comfortable disobeying but not calling sin so, so, so here's what we do. Like, there's a command in the Bible that's like, do not steal. And you roll into a donut shop and you steal a dozen donuts, because that's what I do. Uh, you steal that. Everyone would be like, that's sin. How about, you know what? That's sin. The Bible says, do not commit adultery. Like, do not have sex with someone who is not your husband or wife. And if you do that, it's pretty easy to be like, that's sin. And so we look at these very clear commands in the Bible. And yet when it comes to worry, it's like, well, okay, hold on. Maybe it's not. We kind of like get fuzzy on it. We're like, that's not really. a Like we kind of say that, but here's what it is. Like like I just want us to be so clear on the command, the rule that Jesus gives us. And I want to say it this way tonight. The habitual worrying is sin. I, I know that doesn't make me popular in this room. Like, I know this doesn't make me cool. I know this is like I'm supposed to get up here and be like, your worry no big deal. You just be anxious about everything. No worry. You just do you. But that's not what Jesus calls us toward. Habitual worrying is sin. Now, now, you'll notice I added a word to this. And the word I added up here is the word habitual. Because I do want to be clear tonight on what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. So let me be clear. Like, like imagine... I'm at the park with my two-year-old son, um, who is charming and beautiful, but also reckless, okay? Uh, And I want you to imagine he's climbing up the jungle gym, and he misses the foot, and he starts to fall, and he's holding on, and he's starting to fall backwards. And and I'm like 20, 30 feet away, and I see that. And my heart goes, (gasps) and I see him falling, and I run toward him in that moment. I, I do not believe in that moment I've sinned. I don't believe my fear, my worry for my son in that moment is sin. It would be the same if you got a call from your mom. And she said, honey, I need to tell you some hard news. I just got back from the doctor and they've confirmed I have cancer. Like Some of you have gotten that call. And the fact that you're filled with worry, filled with fear, that in that moment there's this thing that hits you inside of you, I don't believe that's sin. I believe the same if you're called into your boss's office. And he says, I have unfortunate news. We're downsizing the company. We're going to be terminating your job. You're, you're getting laid off. And in that moment, your mind fills with what am I going to do and how am I going to eat and pay rent? All of that moment, I don't believe that moment is sin. So, so I want to be clear tonight. There's like this natural experience we have in life where we're hit immediately with fear, with anxiety, with worry. And I don't believe it's sin. I will tell you when I believe it becomes sin. Sin. I believe it becomes sin, and I believe what Jesus is calling us to is when it becomes a habitual rhythm in our life to worry about things. So me fearing for my son who is falling off the playground, not sin. But if I am the parent who sits around constantly worrying that he's going to fall off the playground, and what if he doesn't make friends, and what if he gets sick, and what if he's not good enough, and what if we're not doing it right, and what if, that would, if that's constantly in my heart, I am walking in a pattern of sin in my life. Uh, Like again, I said it is not sin to hear that your mom has cancer and to feel worried and anxious and afraid for her. It is sin for you to walk in a constant pattern where because someone in your life is sick, you just can't trust that God is good and taking care of that. I said that it is not sin for you to hear from your boss that you are getting laid off or fired and to be worried and concerned, what am I going to do about my finances? It is sin for you to walk in a constant pattern of being worried about money all the time. Uh, Like again... What we're not here to say tonight is that every experience you have of fear, anxiety, or worry is sin. I am here tonight to say that habitual sin, when I am just walking in this constant fear about everything, about my future, about my career, whether I'm going to get married or have kids, or whether my career is going to work out, or money, that becomes sin in my life. Uh, like I'll just stand before you here tonight and tell you this. Um, I don't worry about a ton of things in life. But if there's like a thing I worry about, it it tends to be money. That's not my wife at all. She's like, we'll be fine. And I'm like, no, we're going to die. We're going to be homeless. We're going to be hungry. It's all going to collapse around us. Like that's a thing I tend to worry about in life. But I want you to know that is not like a healthy, good, right pattern in my life. That is a pattern of me not trusting the Lord and walking in a habitual sin. It's not something I celebrate. It's something I need to confess and get out of. And here's what I want you to know tonight. I know know that me saying habitual worry is sin is not popular, but I want you to know tonight that is the best possible thing I could say over your life. The best possible news for me to say about worry is that it is sin. And here's why. This is so important. Here's why this is the best news. It's because if worrying is a personality trait, then you are forever stuck. If that's just part of who you are, like you have blue eyes or you're this tall or or this is the family you're from, if it's just like literally part of you forever, then you're forever stuck. You'll never get out of it. If it's just part of who you are and part of how God's designed you, you'll be worried not only in this life but for billions of centuries into eternity. That's who you are forever. Like if it's part of your personality, then you're stuck forever. But listen, if worrying is a sin, then by God's grace you can be set free. And don't you want to be set free? Don't you want to live in such a way that you're not just habitually, constantly anxious and worried about everything in your life? If it's a pattern of sin, it means it can be repented of and you can be set free by the power of Jesus. See, that's what I want for you this evening. Can I give you one final encouragement? I want you to let the words, I am a worrier, be a confession, not an identity. Let it be a confession. Listen, if you're the person who goes, listen, I'm a worrier. My mom was a worrier. Her mom was a worrier. I come from a long line of worriers. Like, if if that's you, like, don't allow that to become, like, the identity you live into. Allow it to be a confession of an area of your life that God is sanctifying you and making you holy in. Like, that's the invitation for you. Not to just give in to your worry, but to look at it and say, that is not what God wants for my life. Like, the God of the universe looks at you and says, do not worry, because you don't have to. This is the command. This is the rule. The rule is do not worry. And then Jesus goes on in this in verse 25 and says this. He says, Is life not more than food, and the body not more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or sow or or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? And that rule, very simply, is this, do not worry. But then one of the things I love about the scriptures is the scriptures are not just like a list of legal codes that you're supposed to do or not do. What the people who wrote the scriptures by the direction of the Spirit of God know is that I can't just tell you not to do something. I've got to tell you why not to do something. And so what we're going to get here is we're going to get the rule, and then we're going to get the reasons. And I believe in the text we just read, 25 through 32, there's three reasons for you not to worry. Three reasons. And that is this. It is God's knowledge, his desire, and his capacity. It is his knowledge, his desire, and his capacity. Let me break it down for you. God's knowledge is this. God's knowledge is that he knows exactly what you need. We see that in verse 32. God knows your needs. He knows what you need. He knows what's on your mind. He knows what you're stressed about. He knows you need money. He knows you need food. He knows you need money to pay the rent. He knows you need a place to live. He knows what you need. Number two is God's desire. He is your heavenly father and wants to give you good things. Like the father in heaven sees you as his child and he wants to give you good things. And then number three is God's capacity. Do you know that God owns the world and everything in it? Like everything in the world is his. The scriptures say he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is like saying like he owns everything. It's all his. God is not short on cash. Like he is doing fine. He owns everything. It is God's knowledge his desire, and his capacity. And here's how I want you to think about this tonight. The reason you do not have to worry is because God knows exactly what you need. He wants to help you because he's your dad, and he has all the ability in the world to do it. And I want you to know that of these things, God's knowledge, his desire, and capacity, when you are trying to help someone for anything or any reason... If one of these three things is missing, you should not be able to trust, like, the person can't come through on it. Like, let me put it to you this way. So uh, my daughter Grace, five years old, she's in bed, uh, and and one of the things that just she will not do for whatever reason in the middle of the night is she will not get out of bed by herself, open the door, walk across the hallway three feet into the bathroom, and use it by herself. And and so what happens in the middle of the night is that if she has to go potty, she starts crying out for us, and we have a little monitor, we can hear it, so nine times out of ten we hear it. But then one morning I woke up and my five-year-old runs straight to the potty and then she goes potty and she comes out of the bathroom and she's sobbing and she says the words that break my heart. She goes, Daddy, I was crying out for you last night. Oh, I was crying out for you last night and what was I doing? I was sleeping. I did not hear it. So listen, listen, listen. I had the desire to help her. I totally would have. I had the capacity to get up, walk over to her room, help her over to the bathroom, help her back in bed. But what did I lack? I lacked the knowledge. I lacked the knowledge that she actually needed something. Or take my two-year-old son. Um, My two-year-old son will ask me, Dad, can we watch, um, and I won't slander the show uh, publicly here, but can I watch this sh- television show that's made for children that is really meant to d- like destroy adults' brains? Like, it- it's so frustrating and irritating, and every time it's on, he is like delighted, and, and I'm not sure I wanna be a parent <laughs> anymore, right? Like, 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 so what happens? Like, he's like, Dad, can you put that on? And it's like, I know what he needs. I have the knowledge, I have the capacity to use the remote to get to the right channel. But I lack the desire to actually help him. I lack the desire to put on that obnoxious show. Or, or take this, my, my almost one-year-old girl, Hope. Uh, Thanksgiving, we flew out to Nashville and we were flying back. And if you've ever flown with a kid who's under the age of one, try not to, ever. Um, because, because it's such a disaster. Because here's the problem. like You go up and down on the airplane. And you know how you get the ear thing going on? So you do like the this or that or try to like pop your ears or whatever you try to do. To, like Little kids have no idea. And so all they know is, like, I'm in pain, and I don't know why. And so I've got my little baby girl. She's flying on this flight, and the ear thing is starting to happen, and she's starting to cry out, and it's getting really frustrating, and she just wants to, like, be out of pain. So what happened in that moment? I know exactly what's going on. I have the desire to help her, but I have zero capacity in that moment to make the plane go faster and land on the ground so we can get out of there. I have no ability See, if any of these three things are missing, you can't actually put the trust in the person. But I think about it this way. The other day, my wife was having one of those days with the babies. One of those days as a stay-at-home mom where she was tearing her hair out and also considering resigning from parenting. Like one of those days. And here's what I know. I know exactly what to do when my wife has one of those days. And the one thing she needs when she has one of those days are nachos from a specific place on Tio Boulevard that I do not like to name from the stage. So what did I know? I knew what she needed. She needed nachos. I wanted to get her nachos because I also wanted nachos. Did I have the capacity? You better believe I had the capacity to go get that woman nachos. So what did I do? I took care of her need because I had the knowledge, I had the desire, and I had the capacity. And that is exactly what God has for you. He knows everything going on in your life. He knows that you're stressed out about whether you'll get married or not. He knows you're stressed out about your career and your future. He knows you're stressed out about your money. He knows you're worried about your health. He knows what's going on in your mind. He has the desire to help you. God is not in heaven like, "Oh, this person's such a pain." No, if God could have chose to make you all over again and save you all over again, he would. He would. He has the desire to help you and he has the capacity There's nothing holding him back. He owns cattle on a thousand hill. He is the God who owns everything in this world. I want you to know the reason we do not have to worry is because of God's knowledge, his desire, and his capacity. Jesus says, don't you worry. God knows what you need. He can help you, and he wants to help you. But Then Jesus goes on in verse 33 to say these words. He says, but seek first the kingdom, his kingdom, and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. This is, I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but this is a verse. I'm probably a pastor because of this verse. Because when I was in high school, um, I i started to feel a call toward ministry my senior year of high school. And um, for whatever reason, the narrative that had come to me about being a pastor was like, it's a lot of fun, but you'll basically never be able to get married or have kids or like support a life because they don't pay you enough. And for some pastors, that's really true. And, and yet I remember really struggling with that. And, and I actually feel kind of like icky even saying, like I was challenging the call of God on my life to ministry because of money, but, but I was, I, I just was. And I remember being 17 years old, sitting in my bedroom in San Ramon, California, sitting there reading through the scriptures and reading this verse. And I remember writing down, God, if this verse is true, I'm in. Like, I'm in. And here's what I found with my life. I have found that every time I have trusted God and taken a step and said, God, I'm going to step into your will for my life, every time he's taking care of the bill. I've never been rich. I'll never be rich. I'll never have like something cool. I'll never have like the the life that is so cool on television or or on on Instagram or anything like that. But every step of the way, God has taken care of me. Like this verse changed my life. And there's never been a moment I've said yes to the call of God in my life where he hasn't made good on this promise. This is the promise Jesus gives. And, And I love this because what Jesus doesn't do, he doesn't just say, hey, don't worry. And here's the reason why. Because like academically, that's probably good. You're making a claim, then you're backing up the claim. But, but the scriptures actually love to do this. They love to say, don't do this. Here's the reason. And then they love to do this. Do this instead. Because here's what the authors of scripture, and ultimately the Holy Spirit understands about you and me. You and me don't do good with just stopping things. What we need to do is take that energy and funnel it into something else. So, so we're actually not good at not worrying. If I'm, it's like... It's like if you've ever had someone who's in, like, a, a panic attack or, like, a big worried moment and been like, just don't worry about it. You know, like, has that ever worked ever? Never. <laughs> like, it only makes things worse. Why? Because you can't just stop doing something. You have to funnel it into something else. It was like the other night. Um, some of you know this. I'm a huge San Francisco 49ers fan, right? Um, so thank you to the two of you who cheered. Um, and, and, and they were playing the Dallas Cowboys the other night. Um, yeah, thank you for the booze. Okay, yeah. And if, and if you're, well, okay, I won't get into that. But anyway. <laughs> I'm watching the game, and this is how bad um, my cheering for the game got. This is a confession time in church. Um, I was downstairs watching it on our TV uh, with my three children and my wife, and at one point I'm cheering, w- looking at the game, and I look around, and everyone's gone. It was just me. I, I was cheering so aggressively uh, that my wife had brought my three children upstairs to watch Paw Patrol in our room. Um, <laughs> so I had to own that. Um, but, but I was watching the game, and like I said, my kids had left, my wife had left, and, and I watched the game, and in the end, the 49ers won, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, but the last like, couple minutes of the game was just like, I kind of went from like, I'm enjoying this game to like, my heart might actually explode, like I was so stressed out, and, and then the game ends, and, and my wife, and I put the kids to bed, and she comes downstairs, and she looks around, and she goes, thank you so much. I was like, for what? And she goes, for, she goes, the house is really clean. I was like, excuse me? And here's what I hadn't even realized. Like, in my stress, I had been stress cleaning the downstairs of my house. So, like, in between plays, I'd be, like, putting away toys and, like, scrubbing dishes and doing all of this. And it was crazy. Like, I just, like, took that energy of stress about the game and put it into the house. But I thought to myself, like, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say here. Like, take that stress and do something useful with it. That's what he's trying to say. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. In other words, like there's a rule and this rule is do not worry. And then the reason is all the things we talked about, it's God's knowledge and it's his desire and it's his capacity. But then what's, what's the redirect? Like how do we redirect that energy from stress into something useful? It's we seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's how you redirect it. Like Jesus doesn't just say stop worrying and then just like bottle it all up. He wants you to take that anxious energy inside of you and funnel it towards something meaningful. And the most meaningful thing is that you would invest your life into the kingdom of heaven and that you would seek his righteousness. So what does that mean practically? Like practically, if you're like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to stop worrying. I want to trust God's knowledge, his desire, and his capacity. How do I invest my life? How do I redirect my energy toward the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness? Well, over the last three weeks, we have talked about three reasons. And there's a million things I could say, but I want to be clear tonight on the three reasons that Jesus gives immediately preceding this. Jesus talks about giving, prayer, and fasting. Here's how we seek the kingdom of heaven. We seek the kingdom of heaven when we budget giving. We seek the kingdom of heaven when we schedule prayer. And we seek the kingdom of heaven when we practice fasting. That is how we seek the kingdom of heaven. Let let me explain these in three ways. First, on giving I want you to make giving a non-negotiable part of your monthly budget. I I want you to make giving a non-negotiable part of your monthly budget. How do you take this anxiety and this stress and this worry, you don't worry for these reasons, and you redirect it into becoming the most generous kind of person you could possibly be? I've tend to found this in life, and and, and maybe you've experienced this too, the least anxious people tend to be the most generous people. They're just willing to give. And, And so what do we do? We put giving as a non-negotiable part of the monthly budget. Now, here's what I know is the real hang-up for some of you. Some of you, the issue isn't the giving part. It's that you don't actually have a monthly budget. Uh, Yeah, I know some of that. That hurt. But, but, But for some of you, it's like every month, it's like money comes in, and you just kind of wing it until, like, this part of the month. It's the 26th. You're like, let's hope we make it, right? And, and, and if you live that way, it's like, of course you can't be generous and give because you have no clue where your money is going. So what do we always try to tell you? You make a budget right now for the month of February. Before the month begins, on paper, you spend your money on paper, and then you follow the plan. That's the point of the budget. You spend it all on paper. You write it down where it's going to go, and then you follow the plan. And then here's simply what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want to redirect that energy toward being a generous person, you put giving as part of your monthly budget. You write it down on paper, and I think once you start writing it down on paper, you'll actually have to come to grips with whether or not you want to give or not, because it's really easy to ignore giving if you don't ever actually think about your budget, but when you look at the budget, and there's a line for giving, and you write zero in there, you got to just wrestle with that before the Lord, and so again, I, I've just come to believe that the most like, anxious people tend to be the people who hold on to everything, who need to try to control the world with money, because when you put your trust in money, it does make you anxious. But when you put your trust in God and say, I'm willing to let go of this money, man, I, I just want you to know that worry just starts to dissipate from your life. And so, again, I know that sounds crazy, but this is one of these things you will not experience until you do it. Until you do it. All right, and so, again, what do we do? We budget monthly giving, we just make it a non negotiable part of our budget, a non negotiable part of our month. Number two, we make prayer a written part of your weekly schedule. Again, a written part of your weekly schedule. When I say prayer, there, there's prayers like you're driving you're driving a little faster than you know you should be driving. And then you see a police officer parked on the side of the freeway. There's a kind of prayer where it's like, please, no, please, no, please, no, please, no, right? There's that kind of prayer. Fair. Offer up those prayers. There are little prayers you pray before bed or before meals. And you're saying, God, I love you. Thank you so much. There's prayers you pray in the context of worship or Bible study. And those are good things. When I talk about scheduling time for prayer on your schedule... I am talking about when you set aside 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour on your schedule every week to say I'm going to spend unhurried time with God in prayer. Because here's something I noticed. Um, if you look at my calendar on my phone, on my computer right now, I've got meetings with colleagues. I've got dentist appointments. I've got vacations I'm planning on taking. I've got little things like, make sure to take out the trash so you don't get in trouble. Like I've got all of that on my calendar. And yet it was years ago when I realized like, I don't have prayer on my calendar. I say prayer is an important thing, but it doesn't actually make it onto my calendar. I say this thing actually matters to me, but I don't see that anywhere on my calendar. And so what did I start doing? I started making that an actual thing. So if you do an iPhone calendar, put it on your iPhone. This is the time. Every week, I'm going to spend one hour in prayer. If you don't think you can get to an hour, start with 15 minutes. Start with 30 minutes, but build up to that. What do we want to do? We want to spend unhurried time with God in prayer. You know how you know you love someone or something? You're willing to waste time with that someone or something. And if you are not, if you're like, well, how is that productive, an hour with God? You don't get it. Like a love for God to walk in this non-worried, this non-anxious kind of presence is for you to just be like, I'm going to be in God's presence. Because let me tell you something, that hour of prayer that I'm doing right now, Monday nights, 10 p.m., is just this moment where God just meets me. And all the things I think are such a big deal, I go to bed after that, and they're just not as big of a deal. It doesn't mean there's no problems in my life. It doesn't mean there's no issues. It just means when I spend time with God in prayer, anxiety and the worry and the stress inside of me, it just lessens. It dissipates. So, so what are we going to do? We're going to make giving a non-negotiable part of your monthly budget. We're going to pray or make prayer a written part of your weekly schedule. And in fact, I want to challenge someone to do that tonight before you go to bed. Whatever your calendar schedule is, even if it's handwritten, go do that before you go to bed. And then finally, I want to encourage you to make fasting a permanent tool in your spiritual toolbox. So we're at the end of 21 days of fasting here. And if you're late to the party, uh, every year we kick off January. And what we do is we just say, hey, over this 21-day period, we want everyone to try to fast at least something. And so it's not no one eats for 21 days. We'd be very hungry and cranky. Uh, And yet... What people have done is there have been people who have fasted for a few days, or fasted every Monday, or they fasted from alcohol, or fasted from sugar, or they fasted from something in their life. They've they've leaned in and done that, and we do that every January, but the point isn't like, well, now it's February, so forget about fasting until 2024, and we'll remind you. Um, The point is that you would make fasting a permanent part of your spiritual toolkit. That you would look at fasting as something that is a regular, normal, habitual part of your life. Let me say it six ways to you. Would you remember to fast when you need victory over sin? Uh, I think for some of you, you are struggling with sin. You are stuck in bondage to something. It's been habitual. It's been besetting. It's been with you for years and you keep trying to overcome it. And the question I want to ask you, have you tried fasting? And I don't mean just like, have you tried you're not eating a meal? I mean, have you tried extended times of seeking the Lord in prayer and in fasting over an extended period so that you can get before the Lord and deal with that sin inside of you? I want to encourage you to fast when you need victory over sin. Listen, I want to encourage you to fast when you need financial provision. Like, I believe the God of the universe will provide every single one of your needs, and yet he's going to ask us to ask him for that? And so I think for some of you, you're just trying to figure out how in the world you're going to make it. I want to encourage you to fast and seek the Lord in fasting and prayer and ask that God would move on your behalf financially. I I want you to do that. I want you to fast when you need wisdom and direction. When you're trying to decide which school to go to. When you're trying to decide if you're supposed to buy this home or not or start this business or not or go down this road or not. Fast for wisdom and direction. Number four, fast when you're crying out for justice. But like when you see things in this world that bother you deeply, when you see things in this world on the news, and you just go, how could it be this way? God, would you fix it? Would you commit yourself to fasting over that? Number five, would you fast when you're asking for healing? Like again, if it's physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, maybe healing from a trauma or healing from a disease, would you choose to fast as you seek healing for yourself or for others? And then six, and finally, maybe for this group most importantly, I want you to fast when you're at the start of a new adventure. Sometimes God sends us down a new road, a new season of life, a new home you're living in, a new relationship you're in, a new season, a new job, a new school, whatever it is. When you're at the beginning of a new thing, why not just carve out some time to say, hey, I'm going to fast at the beginning of this so that God can meet me in this. So that's what Jesus says. He says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What Jesus wants you to do is he wants you to know the command, the rule is do not worry. The reason is God's knowledge, it is his desire, it is his capacity. And his redirect is that you would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then at the end, Jesus throws in these words. I love this in verse 34. He says, Therefore, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What a depressing way to end the sermon. (laughs) Jesus is like, yeah, you're gonna have a hard time today, so don't even stress about tomorrow. You don't even know what tomorrow's bringing, right? But like Jesus gets it. He, he's like, don't worry. God knows what you need. He wants to help you. He's going to help you. Don't stress out about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of itself. See, there's this observation that that I think Jesus is keying in on, that that I want us to see tonight. Um, And I don't think you're going to like hearing this about yourself, but it's true of me and it's true of you. And here's the observation, that you are remarkably bad at predicting the future. Remarkably bad. Like, like here's how I know this. Do you you remember what you were most worried about when you were in seventh grade? Like, do you remember? Like, I remember. Like, I remember. And this is like a timestamp of where we were in geopolitical history. I was most concerned in seventh grade about nuclear war with North Korea. I thought like for sure this is going to happen. I saw some reports It got me really scared and worried and nervous. And the deep nervousness was not death. The deep nervousness was they're going to shoot a nuke and I am going to die before I get my license, before I get married, and before honestly as a middle school boy, before I get to have sex. That was my deepest fear. Like they're going to blow me up before all the best things in life that God has to offer. And this was my fear. And Obviously, that has not happened, and I'm not saying something like that couldn't have happened, and I'm not saying what you were worried about most in middle school didn't happen. I'm just saying if you think back to when you were in middle school, you had all sorts of things you were worried about, maybe 100 of them, and maybe one sort of came true. Like, let me ask it this way. I was thinking about this recently. What were you most worried about in March of 2020? Like, Like, when COVID was really starting. And again, it is possible that the thing you were most worried about actually happened. But I know for me, the, thing I was, the things I was most worried about, I think back to that time, never actually materialized the way I thought they would. Like I remember that first time I went to a grocery store. Remember when the shelves were like wiped off that first week? Everyone just panic bought? And there was like no food? I'll never forget being in the store and I was buying whatever I could And then I was like in the checkout line. I was like, what if I need more calories? And there was a bag of almonds. I was like, I'll take this. You know, like I'll never forget grabbing those almonds, being like, if I need to eat almonds and the kids can have the rest. I was like, what am I doing? I was so worried. I'm so bad at predicting the future. And here's how I know you're bad at predicting the future. Today is January 26, 2023. Can you tell me what you were worried about on January 26, 2022? Like, do you know what you you were worried about? Something. There was something you thought would be so devastating, so overwhelming, so crushing. And here you are. And, and here's my point. It's not that everything you predict never comes true. It's that most of what you predict really doesn't come true. Life is complicated. And Jesus goes, today is complicated enough. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. So, so what is Jesus trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to stop predicting the chaos that we think is going to happen in the future and rather live faithfully in the call of God on our lives today. Corey Ten Boom says it this way. She says, worrying worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And that's what worrying does. It's wearing two days at a time. It's not that you don't plan or think about the future or anything. It's just you recognize you're probably really bad at predicting the future. So you're going to prepare and do what you can, but you're going to be faithful today. You're not going to worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says you'll walk in tomorrow, and you know who's going to be there? Jesus will. You know who's going to be inside of you? His Holy Spirit is. You know who's going to love you? His Father will. That's what's going to happen when you wake up tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning. So where does our strength come from? Our strength comes from setting our eyes on Jesus. That's where strength comes from. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight, the invitation that I'm going to set out for all of us is to stop worrying about everything. To stop being so worked up about something we can't control in the future, but rather to trust a God who knows what we need, who has the desire to help us, and has all the capacity in the world to do so. So our band is going to make their way up. And uh, I want to read a scripture to you, and I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. I want to give an invitation to some of you. And here's the scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. When I think about how to dissipate worry in my life, I think of these words. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that we might not grow weary and lose heart. What do we do in the midst of our worry? We don't beat ourselves up. We don't think about it deeper. We don't analyze ourselves more. We set our eyes on Jesus. He's the author, He's the pioneer, He's the perfecter of your faith. When you're worried, you look to Jesus. When you're walking in faith, you look to Jesus. What is the invitation for all of us tonight? It is to look to Jesus. When you keep looking at what you're worried about and looking at your problems and looking at the world, it just adds to your stress. But when you set your eyes on Jesus, it says here, you will not grow weary and lose heart. That weariness, that anxiousness, that stress, that anxiety inside of you will dissipate as you set your eyes on Jesus. And so here's how we wanna close this series with a simple invitation. I think there are some of you in this room, maybe many of you, who are walking in faith. It's not that bad things don't happen and it's not that you don't ever have fear or an anxious thought in your mind. It's that you have learned to set your eyes on Jesus and you feel confident in who he is and what he's doing in your life. But there are others of you in this room who you call yourself a Christian and you say you love Jesus and yet you are walking in this habitual, continual worry and stress. You are just constantly overwhelmed and constantly stressed and you are leaning into that rather than setting your eyes on Jesus. And and tonight, I want to invite you to turn from that. If this habitual worry is sin, I want to invite you to repent from that sin and set your eyes on Jesus and throw yourself upon his mercy. But like there's still others of you who maybe have drifted away from God. And I don't know what brought you here tonight or brought you back here tonight after a long time. I just know for some of you, you've been doing your own thing and life has been crazy and you're worried. And I want you to know there is a God who knows everything you need. He has the desire to love and forgive and give you every good thing. And he has the capacity to do so. And tonight I want you to invite you to just come back to God. To throw yourself at his mercy. To say, God, I've been wandering, going my own direction, going my own thing. But tonight, I want to come back to you. I want to set my eyes on Jesus. And I want to experience the mercy and the forgiveness that he offers. And so all over this room, again, I know there's some of you who are just confidently walking by faith right now. And you don't need to respond to this there's a group of you in this room who I think just need to respond tonight to a God who says you do not have to worry anymore you don't have to be so stressed out you don't have to walk in this habitual anxiousness where you're not trusting that I know what you need I have the desire to give it to you and I have the capacity to make good on that promise and so here's what I'm gonna do in just a moment I'm just gonna count to three and if there's anyone in this room who says you know what I've been drifting from God. I've not been trusting him. I've been walking in anxiousness. I've been far away from him. But tonight, I want to stand right now in this room and just receive God's mercy, receive his forgiveness. I want to call on his name. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet on three. It doesn't have to be all of you. It doesn't even have to be any of you. But if tonight you know that's you and you want to throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus and set your eyes on him and say, tonight is a turning point. I was going down this road. Now I'm going down a different road. On three, would you stand to your feet in response? One, two, three. Yeah, that's awesome. Stay standing. Uh, Anyone else in this room who needs to stand right now? Who just hasn't been? It's okay. It's awesome. Um, That is awesome. Thank you. Um, Here's what I need you to know. There's a God who sees you and knows you and knows what you're walking through. He knows every part of your life and every hair on your head. He knows your stresses. He knows your family. He knows your future. He knows your finances. He knows your health and he knows what you're worried about. And he is quite willing and quite able to take care of you. And when you come to him for mercy, he is a God who is a never-ending fount of mercy. It never runs out. It never runs dry. He never fails and he never gets tired of it. He sees you and he loves you. And the one thing, if you are standing looking at me right now, I want you to Know, is that the God of the universe is for you? He is with you. He is on your side. And He has never given up on you. He is loving and He is gracious. And He says to you, child, welcome home. Would the rest of us stand with those who are standing in this room right now? We're going to set our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Him. I'm going to invite you right now, all, all over this room as we sing right now. I'm going to pray, would you raise your hands and surrender toward God and say, Tonight, God, I surrender to you. God, tonight, I trust you. God, I give my worry away to you. God, tonight I pray for everyone in this room asking that you would meet us in power, that you would show us your provision, that you would show us you are the God who is good, who is with us, who is for us and on our side. God, may worry and anxiety and fear dissipate as we set our eyes on you. God, may we not weary and lose heart. May tonight Jesus reign and rule in this place that we might not worry. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said,